The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hard to believe but when all this began back in the middle of March. We're all the way down to one week left to go in the Major League Baseball season. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. One week left to go in the regular season for Major League Baseball. The Indians, well, they're looking towards the postseason. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds are looking towards the offseason. And in order to talk to about the Reds, down south, we've got to go down south, as I said, to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm fine, Dave, and I, and I think Reds fans do have a lot to look forward to, actually, because the Reds are on a six-game losing streak. Uh, they're going to be playing Milwaukee and St. Louis um, this week. Uh, I'm sorry, Milwaukee and uh, Chicago, the Cubs, this week, which means they have a chance to end the season on a 12-game losing streak, which would give them, again, the number one draft pick next year. And that's what we go for when you're a Reds fan now. We go for the draft picks. Because we don't have a team that could win the AAA uh, American Association uh, division. So we take our pleasures as we can. And we'll be talking about uh, you know, what the Reds are up to in the offseason in a few minutes. But uh, it is exciting when you're an Indians fan to see what that team has accomplished this year. And the thing I like about the Indians, Dave, and, I, and I'm sure you know this better than I, uh, their organization is not bare. I mean, they, they have talent in the, in the minor leagues still. And so what I see with the Indians is maybe a five, six year run here before they get caught up in some huge salaries. Like, you know, what's going to happen with Lindor when he, what's, what's he oh, going to yeah. be worth someday? You know, and can they afford, but th- that's going to be three, four, five years away before that problem raises its ugly head. But it looks to me, unless you see something I don't, that the Indians are pretty good shape for the next five, six years. Yeah, it, it looks that way, Mark, especially with the pitching and how that has really taken effect over the last uh, few years. I mean, you've got Corey Kluber, you've got Salazar. You know, they made a decision earlier this uh, week uh, over the past four or five days, Mark, that Mike Clevenger, who has won ten games this year, he's ten and five, he's got an ERA under three and a half, he's going to be pitching out of the bullpen for the rest of the year and the playoffs. They've got Danny Salazar, who may be pitching out of the bullpen for the playoffs and even the World Series. I think they're going to go with a four-man rotation, and that includes Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, and Tomlin. Now, nobody would have thought at the beginning of the year that Josh Tomlin would have been one of the pitchers, but I think what he has done this year, on top of what he did last year in the playoffs, Mark, you cannot erase what Tomlin did in the playoffs last year, coming up big in almost every game that he pitched in the playoffs, and Bauer doing the same thing. Of course, if Bauer hadn't been stupid enough to go out and play with a drone the day before he was scheduled to pitch in a playoff game, then maybe the Indians would have won that series, even without Carrasco and Salazar. But that being said, 
you know, the Indians are so deep in their pitching right now that they're able to put two of their more successful starters in Clevenger and Salazar in the bullpen and use them in timely fashion. And that's what makes that team so scary is when you, when you take two of your best starters and those two starters that are being moved to the bullpen, those guys could probably be two and three starters for just about every team in baseball. That's how good they are. And so your bullpen, which is already an outstanding bullpen, you got Miller back last week. Uh, you, you know what? That that may be the deepest pitching staff in, in Major League Baseball right now, top to bottom. I don't know if you're carrying twelve or thirteen pitchers, but uh, I, I don't know that one Reds player could crack that that rotation or even bullpen now. That with the way Iglesias is pitching, he would be the only guy I would see that could have a chance in that staff. But I'm not sure he could make it. You know, given the other options you have right now. Yeah, right now I, I'm not sure there is any pitcher on the red staff other than the one that you just mentioned, Iglesias, that could make the Indian staff. And that's not that's not slamming the Reds. That is just saying how good the Indians pitching staff has been. And you know, I, I got my my wish, Mark, and I talked about this a little bit last week, when that twenty two game winning streak was over. The Indians came right back, Mark, and they won three in a row. Then they lost one in heartbreaking fashion in Seattle on Friday night, and they came back and they won the next two, Mark. So these losses that they have gotten over the last month, which is basically just three losses, and that's a heck of a month. I mean, when you go, when you go 28 and 3 over a 31-day period, I mean, for crying out loud, Mark, you can't ask for anything more than that. If you're a fan, if you're a manager, if you're a player, nothing. You cannot ask for anything more than that. And as effective as the Reds have been hitting-wise this year, the Indians have been equally effective in the pitching department. They've got four guys over ten wins, Mark, in in their starting pitching. Yeah, that's the the, the exciting part is that I, I don't see a weakness in, in the organization, and you've got some guys in the DL still that may not be ready for the playoffs, which makes it even all the more amazing what they're doing. I, I don't know that there's a pitching staff in the playoffs. You look at the, the Dodgers with Kershaw, obviously, but he, Kershaw's not been lights out this year. He, he's not been Corey Kluber. You look around the, Washington, yeah, that, that one-two punch they got over there, uh, Houston, uh, they've got a good pitching staff. But I, I don't know that there's a team that matches the Indians. I mean, the Indians could go into the playoffs into particularly a, a five-game series, and it's not inconceivable that they could throw three shutouts. That's that's not crazy talking in terms of what those first three guys in the rotation for the Indians are capable of. And I don't think there's another pitching staff in baseball that you could say that about. But they just have, if, if, if Kluber and the rest of those guys are on, they can shut down any offense in baseball. And that's what it's all about in a playoff series. And the Indians, to me, it, it, I'm very anxious to see what Vegas makes them in terms of the odds. <laughs> I mean, they could be a, you know, a 2-5 to five or 2-6, two 2-7 to two to favorite to win the World Series. I mean, that, that's how dominant they are right now. Let, let me ask you this question. And, yeah, this is a little sour grapes coming out. If this Indians pitching staff was with the Yankees, the Mets, or even, let's say, Boston, what would the media, especially ESPN, be saying about this pitching staff? 
Well, a lot more than they are, but that, you know, that's an argument, not an argument, that's a position that you have to accept when you're not in one of those major markets. And, you know, what, what Cleveland has done compared to the, to the resources that the Yankees and the Mets and the Dodgers have, Chicago, uh, among them, it's really remarkable what they've done with as small a payroll relatively that, that they have. The question and the challenge is going to be, what are they going to do in the next two or three years? As some of these younger guys get into free agency or even get into arbitration, uh, it's going to be a big payroll uh, to keep that team together. But, you know, right now you don't want to worry about that. Right now you want to worry about who you're playing in the first round of the playoffs and, and how far can this team go. And uh, I would love to see the Indians in the World Series again. And I think a great World Series would be Washington against Cleveland. I think that the pitching staff there would be just an incredible matchup. Uh, I think both Washington and Cleveland are better than the Cubs. I think they're better than the Dodgers, better than Houston. And those are the teams. I mean, you know, Boston, I saw them play over the weekend. That, that's a nice team. I, I don't see that they have the kind of horsepower that those other teams have. You know, you never know when they get to the playoffs. They could get hot. Other teams could get cold. But it's going to be an upset if it's not going to be New York or Cleveland and Washington in the World Series. You think even Washington would be an upset over the Dodgers? No, I think Washington should be in the World Series. I think they're better than the Dodgers. So the upset would be if the Dodgers go to the World Series. I don't think they will. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Washington and it's going to be Cleveland. Well, the one thing about it is, is that the World Series is gauged upon, the host of the World Series is gauged upon the team that has the best record. And right now, that is the Dodgers. They lead it by a game over the Indians. Now, Mark, when, this is almost unbelievable. But as of August, the early part of August, the Indians were nearly 20 games behind the Dodgers for the best record in baseball. And now, with a week to go in the regular season, they are one game behind the Dodgers. The Dodgers are 99 and 57 heading into action tonight. The Indians are off tonight. The Indians are 98 and 58. One game behind. They've got a three and a half game lead over Houston for the best record in the American League. Houston's at 95 and 60, but it, for all intents and purposes, they've got a four-and-a-half game lead because the Indians won the season series, so they win the tiebreaker over the Astros. Boston, not anywhere near. The Yankees clinched a playoff berth today, so they're in. And the surprising team is going to end up being Minnesota, Mark. They finished in last place last year in the American League Central. They finish in second place this year in the Central. They're going to be that last team in the playoffs. And to be honest with you, they are the team that I am the most scared about in the American League. It's the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, and that's that scenario we talked about last week where you have a team that uh, it is clearly not as talented as Cleveland. And in the playoff situation, if they win that first wildcard game, uh, they'll probably play, I guess they'll play the Indians, will they not? Yeah, if they win that wild card game, yeah. if they beat the Yankees, yeah. and that's going to be in Yankee Stadium, then it will be, yeah, yeah it, it, they'll play the Indians. So, and, and that scares me that a team like the Twins could get hot in the playoffs, something happens to, to the Indians, they lose a couple close games, and all of a sudden they're out of it. And that's, you know, after 162 games, uh, that would be maddening, you know, not to take that team to the World Series when you have a chance to win it. 
and that's uh, th- that's something that I think every fan would be upset about unless you are from Minnesota. <laughs> the nightmare scenario is Minnesota being up in the series two games to one or 2-2, two, two, and Bartolo Colon is the pitcher. That's the nightmare scenario for the Indians. There you go. That that's what I am I am scared to death about. But you know, earlier Mark, if you'd have taken the Cy Young Award vote in the American League in let's just say through the month of July, if you'd have made the vote on August first, boy, everybody was saying Chris Sale was going to win the American League Cy Young Award. But let's talk about record. Let's talk about the stats right now. The numbers. Between Corey Kluber and Chris Sale. Get these numbers right now. Corey Kluber's record is 18 and 4 on the season after yesterday's win over Seattle. Chris Sale is 17 and 7. Corey Kluber's ERA is 2.35. Sales is 2.75. The opponent, the opponent's batting average against Corey Kluber this year, 188. 188 is the batting average against Kluber this year. Against Sale, 203. Innings pitched, Sales pitched two, 209 in the third innings. Kluber has pitched 191 in two-thirds innings. But if you add the seven innings that he pitched yesterday, he's pitched just shy of 200 innings, 198 in two-thirds innings. Walks as opposed to strikeouts. Now, here's a very interesting stat. Both of these guys are unbelievable. Chris Sale has got 300 strikeouts this year, Mark, 41 walks. Going into yesterday's game, Kluber had 252 strikeouts and 34 walks. And whip, which is something that you've always talked about on this show, the whip for Corey Kluber is 0.85. The whip for Chris Sale, 0.95. Now, based on those stats, who wins the Cy Young? Who gets your vote? Oh, clearly Sale, because (laughs) he's from Chicago. He's in Boston. Now, it's obviously Kluber has the better stats. And I, I would be surprised if Sale would win it. Uh, I, I know there's been talk about that, but y- y- you're looking at a guy like Kluber who's pitching for a contending team, and it's, you know, you, you certainly are going to get some wins uh, when you're with a better team compared to Sale. Now, you could argue if Sale were with the Indians, would he win, you know, 25 games? He might. But at the same time, the the pressure that's on a guy like Kluber uh, to perform uh, is much higher, and I think of more value than what Sale has done. Uh, here's so, I, I, Go ahead. I'd be surprised if Sale would pull it off. Well, here's another interesting stat on the on the part of Chris Sale: seventeen and seven record, but of those seven losses, two have come against the Indians, and he's got one no decision. So he has not beaten the Indians this year. And that's the one thing going into these playoffs, Mark, and that's why, you know, I was kind of the nightmare scenario of Bartolo Colon to me is real. Because when when the Indians face Houston, if they face Houston in the playoffs, Justin Verlander is a guy that the Indians have beat up on throughout the years. Justin Verlander has the worst record against the Indians of any team in the American League. Chris Sale on the other hand, it's the same thing. The Indians beat up on Chris Sale. They have for years, even when he was with the White Sox, now with the Red Sox. The Indians beat up on Chris Sale. I am not worried about Boston and Houston. Now watch one of those two come back and beat the Indians. But I'm just saying, on paper, I'm not worried about those two. I'm really not worried about the Yankees, because the Indians have won the season series with the Yankees also. 
but it's Minnesota. Minnesota has been the team that has played the Indians the toughest this year. And that may sound crazy. I may be called paranoid, but it's the Twins that bug me the most. When did Sale join the Red Sox? At the beginning of the season. I mean, right right during the offseason. Okay. I, I, it'd be interesting to look at his his record with the White Sox last year and the stats when he moved from a, a weak team to a strong team. Um, his to, to me, he, he's the harder guy to hit. His motion as a hitter would be really disconcerting, the way he throws elbows and arms and legs and uh, has that funky motion. Uh, you, you look at Kluber, uh, he reminds me of an old-time pitcher. Uh, just an old-time power pitcher like a Tom Seaver. He's got a very, you know, smooth, mechanical motion to the plate. But he, to me, he looks so strong and durable. Uh, I, I'm just wondering over the next uh, five, six years, which of those guys is going to sustain their, their abilities over a long period of time. Uh, I don't know if, if Sale is a workout junkie like uh, Kluber is, but Kluber looks like a stud. I mean, looks like a guy who could go out there and, you know, not warm up and go out and pitch and throw, you know, 92. Uh, it, 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 the, watching those guys, I, I saw them on a split screen, I, I guess it was about a week ago. There was, I, in fact, it may have been about the Cy Young. But uh, I don't know what you think about Kluber, but to me he looks like a, a man among men in terms of being in shape. Yeah, Kluber is a guy that takes very good care of himself, always has. Uh, takes very good care of himself, and and uh, I think Chris Sale does the same. But they're two totally different body types. I mean, Sale is six six, oh, yeah, sure. one hundred and ninety. You know, Kluber I think is like six two, six three, and he's about two ten. But to answer your question about Sale, all right, he he has in two thousand twelve he won he went seventeen and eight. In two thousand thirteen, this is all with the White Sox, eleven and fourteen. He went 12 and 4 with the White Sox in 2014, 13 and 11 in 2015, and then last year he was 17 and 10 with the White Sox with a 3.34 ERA. Now this year with Boston, he's 17 and 7 with that 2.75 ERA. So he has pitched almost identical to how he pitched last year for the White Sox. And 17 seems to be his high water mark as far as wins are concerned, Mark, and as far as his ERA is concerned, He's nowhere near his best, which was 2.17 back in 2014. But this is his best year as a strikeout pitcher. He has never achieved 300 strikeouts before. This is the first year that he has done that. Now, you think back to the guys that I can remember off the top of my head who had 300 strikeouts in a year. Uh, Sandy Koufax did. Sam McDowell did. Uh, Herb Score. Uh, not Herb Score. Uh, Bob Feller. Uh, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver. No, yeah, yeah. There, there's some guys. Who, that, that's that's a very rare feat, but it also takes a toll on your arm. And uh, when you are pitching, you know, you're striking out a lot of guys. You're throwing a lot of pitches, and you're throwing, uh, you're throwing. A, you know, the counts are, are, you know, two, two, three, two, a lot. So you know the pitch count will come back to haunt these guys. And I'm just wondering if that's gotten, if that's gotten to Kershaw. That he, I know he struck out 300 a couple of years ago, if not a couple of years in a row. And he's a young guy. I mean, Kershaw is what, uh, he's still in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wonder what toll that's going to take on him. Because 
To me, he has got a very punishing motion for his body. Looks like he's max effort every time he throws. And that's what I like about Kluber. To me, it doesn't look like he's still in max effort. And he's still, you know, 96, 97. And uh, that's, that's a tribute to somebody teaching that guy fundamentals on how to throw. Because this year, the Reds, the pitchers they've thrown, I've seen almost every game the Reds have played. And some of these pitchers, it, it's, surprise to, it's surprising to me that they're even out of double A. They're nowhere are they near major league ready. Their motions, they're throwing across their body. They're backing up when they're letting go of the ball. I don't know what the situation is on the on the managing and the coaching of these guys at the low minor league level, but it's it's astonishing that they come up. And, and well, it's not, the results are pretty obvious. They're just not getting anybody out. But the the, the motions are coming up with. Uh, it's so different than you look at some of these more polished pitchers in the American League. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, Mark, and, and I know it was a publicity stunt um, on Saturday, but it was still it was still a neat situation at Great American Ballpark when Luke Farrell came in to pitch the ninth inning of the game against the Red Sox, and his dad, John Farrell, former Indian pitcher is the manager of the Red Sox. It's the first time in Major League history, according to Elias, that the son goes up against a team that his dad is managing. It's not the first time that a player has gone up against his dad managing. Moises Alou did that several years ago when his dad, Felipe, was the manager of the Giants. But this is the first time a pitcher had to do it. And the funny thing was, when you saw it on TV, Mark, they had a, they, had, they showed it, they, they showed the... the uh, dual screen on TV, Farrell's coming out of the bullpen, and John Farrell isn't even looking out on the field. He's doing something in between innings, and they announce that it's Luke Farrell coming in to pitch, and he turns around and looks out on the field and gets this, gets this look like, oh, no, <laughs> on his face. It, it was still a pretty neat situation for those two. Yeah, and I was wondering, uh, you know, how, I guess in a perfect world, you, you want your team, that the game wasn't that close at the time, uh, you want your team to win. And I wonder if, if the players went up there and, and, and not that they weren't trying, but, um, they probably want to give their manager a good feeling to have their, have his son go out there and pitch well. And, and he did okay. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to stick around with the Reds next year. If he is, I think you're going to see another last place finish if that's the kind of pitching they're going to have. But, you know, in a couple of years, uh, you know, maybe he can uh, work his way back to the major leagues. I don't think he'll, he'll make the team next year. But uh, it, it was a kind of a heartwarming thing to see. And yeah, what, what a thrill it must be for, for the manager to see his oh. son out there on the mound. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the year, and I forget what team Luke Farrell came over from. Uh, I think it was Kansas City. Don't hold me to that, but I believe it was Kansas City. But in June, they actually gave John Farrell, the Red Sox did, the day off so that he could go to Kansas City and watch Luke pitch. And the thing is, is that if you heard, if you heard both of them talking about it, John was so entrenched in his playing career and his managing career, because he managed in Toronto before this, that he didn't get to see his son play a whole lot of baseball during the summer. So this was one of the few times that he actually had the opportunity to see him pitch. So the Red Sox earlier in the year gave him the opportunity to take the day off, go to Kansas City and watch Luke pitch for the Royals. That's neat. Um, <laughs> it's, 
I, that would be every, every father's dream, I guess, especially if you're a major league yeah. manager to see your son out there playing somewhere. Mark Bronson Arroyo retiring. I thought that was another class act by the Reds to give him, you know, send him off into retirement. You know, you can say all you want to. You and I argued a little bit back and forth earlier, and well, not a little bit, a lot <laughs> at the beginning of the season on the show as to whether Bronson should be on it. But still, in all, you know, Bronson was a pretty good pitcher for the Reds back in the. You know, 2010, 11, 12 season. Uh, decent pitcher for the Reds, and I, I thought it was a class act for the Reds to send him off the way they did. Yeah, I, I have no problem with what Bronson did when he was with the Reds before. I, I think, and it's not his fault that the Reds picked him to be in the starting rotation, but I, I'll make the argument that he, he hurt this team more than any player this year because of his inability to go beyond five innings uh, he started a bunch of games at the beginning of the year, and every time his number was called, I mean, he won a few games, but he got hammered, and it hurt the bullpen. And that bullpen is still recovering from a, a, a horrendous start by the starting rotation of which Bronson was part. And that's not his fault, but you can't come back from the surgeries he had at age 41 mm -hmm. and, and make a reasonable contribution to a team. Now, I wouldn't have had any problem at all had they sent him to AAA let him build his arm strength up, bring him up to the all-star break and see what he can do. But that, they weren't fair to him. And he, he rushed it back. He, and he was, his fastball, Dave, was, was up, you know, 80 to 82 miles an hour for a fastball. Right. His breaking ball was in the 60s. Well, you're going to fool a couple guys, maybe once or twice, but they're going to come back and hammer you, and that's exactly what happened to Bronson. Mark, one of the, the, the other stories that the Reds had this weekend was the extension that they gave to Tucker Barnhart. It's a four-year contract extension. Of course, he has been the backup for Devin Mesoraco, but over the last couple of years since Mesoraco has been on the disabled list, Barnhart's really taken a hold of that position and made it his own. I guess the question that I, I want to pose to you today is, because of this contract, does that number the days of Mesoraco in Cincinnati? Well, it, it doesn't, uh, because, number one, I don't think anybody's going to trade for him. Uh, so the Reds will have him on the roster next year. The question is going to be what happens the year after. Uh, the Reds don't have any viable candidates come up and, and, and unseat Mesoraco unless he's hurt again. So uh, that's, you know, I think I really like Tucker Barnhart for a lot of reasons he Offensively, he's gotten he's gotten better and better almost every year. Defensively, he, he was, he's a leading catcher in the National League uh, for throwing runners up, and you know he's he's done everything that a that catcher can do. And the only thing he lacks compared to Mesoraco is supposed power, but he has a much higher batting average, and and he he's driven in some big runs this year. So I have no problem you know with. with Tucker behind the plate, and I think he he's a good citizen, and uh, I guess he's a great teammate. So that, that I think it's a good move. I just don't know what's going to happen next year for a backup because Mesoraco will be the backup going into next year. So you think Mesoraco will be on the team next year? Not because of choice. I don't think anybody will trade for him, and he's got he's got eight or nine million dollars next year. I mean, who, who would pay eight or nine million dollars to a guy? The Reds, that's who, but nobody else will. Uh, that's you know that's the that's the point. And so yeah, would, would they like to trade him? Of course, but what are you going to get for him? Well, which leads me to four players 
that I want to ask you whether or not they will be Cincinnati Reds next season. So let's start out with the first player of those four, Billy Hamilton. Yes. He will be. Yeah, he's, he will be. I, I don't think... Uh, he brings a lot to the Reds, a lot of excitement. And, you know, he's getting better offensively. Uh, you know, it's interesting. His, his, his speed seems to have lost his step. Uh, he's still fast and exciting and, and faster than 90% of the guys, but he, he wasn't that lightning quick that he was when he first came up. And, and the reason is, I think he's gained a little weight. Because he's lifting weights, he's strong. He's a very strong kid, mm -hmm. and that you know you're going to lose a step when you gain ten, twelve pounds. And I think he has. Uh, I'm perfectly fine with him in center field defensively, obviously. And if he could move up to a two sixty, two seventy uh, batting average, yeah, I mean I think, he, I think he's a valuable asset to the Reds. But he's not a valuable asset if he's sitting two twenty, and he has a two fifty on base percentage. You can't steal first base. So, long answer to your short question. Yeah, I think he'll be here next year. All right. Second player, Suarez. Will he be with the Reds next season? Yes, I think he will, and I think he'll be playing shortstop. You think they'll go for that route? They'll take him and put him at short yeah. and, and Senzel at third? Senzel at third, uh, Suarez at, at short. Uh, they'll trade Cozart. They'll get a draft choice for Cozart. They're not going to trade, trade him, though. They'll... Uh, let him go to free agency, and they'll get a sandwich pick from somebody. I mean, he's, he's going to hit 20, 23, 24 home runs this year. He's played good shortstop. The only bad thing about him, he is incredibly slow right now with that uh, that hamstring, not hamstring, the quad injury he's had all year. Mm -hmm. So that's going to hurt his value, you know, to other teams. They're going to have to see that he's ready to go. And it wouldn't surprise me that the Reds could sign him uh, to to a, a different kind of contract than he's expecting. Uh, this situation with him may go all the way into the beginning of next year. That if he doesn't get the deal he wants, that he may come back to the Reds, and the Reds would probably sign him at the right deal. You think a one-year deal, two-year deal? Well, he's what thirty-one. Uh, you know, he doesn't want a long-term deal with anybody. He wants to have that. He wants to prove he's healthy. He could do that with the Reds. And, you know, with the, with the power he's shown this year, he's one of the most valuable offensive shortstops in baseball right now. And that, that should be worth a lot of money to, to somebody. But that he's gonna have to prove he's healthy. He's been hurt several years. Uh, the last six years, he's been hurt three years. And that, that's a bad percentage. Could they be hedging their bets, Mark, and go ahead and sign Cozart just because of the vertical problems that Senzel had at the end of the year? Uh, from everything I've read, the vertical, vertical problems that he has are related to hay fever or allergies. That, at least that's what they're saying. They're, they're downplaying it. it. It didn't appear to be something that's permanent. Uh, and I, I think he'll be fine. He's going to be playing winter ball this year. Uh, so I, 